Welcome to the show. Paul George in studio with Deacon Adam Conk, producer Chad. What's going on, fellas? Doing well. How are you? Hey, hey, hey. Doing good. Thanks, everyone, for listening in to the podcast, to the radio show, and live on Facebook. If you're watching live, we're recording the show today, and good to be with you guys. It's uh, getting hot in Louisiana. You ain't kidding. Summer's here. We went, I tell people, like, we just, we go from, like, spring to summer with within, like, a day, a week. It's just here, mm. you know? And that's why I always act surprised, but it happens every year. But it I'm happens like, every How year. How did it get so hot? <laughs> it shows up 100 degrees with 100% humidity. Like, oh, this yeah. happens every year. Yeah, and I don't think people understand the heat. And the humidity, you got to come in the summer and enjoy it with us, but it's but it's the real deal. So anyway, uh, so welcome everyone to the show. Glad you're here. Um, yeah, so so Adam, you're a deacon. How's it been going? It's great. I think, yeah, tomorrow's going to be a month of, of deacon life, and uh, not bad. I like it. I like it. I, um, I've been blessed to be able to serve the church in a various amount of ways, and that's pretty neat. Yeah. Producer Chad. Yeah. Um, so when are you going to break the news of what's going on in, with, uh, in your world? We'll just wait a little while. You're going to wait a little while? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm sure everybody knows what it is by now. I have no idea. It could be you're going to shave your beard. It could be, you know, you got a new, you know, bike. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you bought some new ducks because you guys raise ducks, apparently. We do. Speaking of ducks, the duck eggs, have you guys eaten them? I eat them all the time. Okay. They're and really good. They are. Yeah. They're like chicken eggs, but better. Yeah, I've eaten them. I can attest to that. They okay. are. They're superior. Can they're you bring me big. one? Yeah, I, big, I could bring you a dozen. Not cooked, but like. Well, I don't want to cook them first. You got to right. cook them yourself. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Come on. I ain't Paul? got time for that. All right. Speaking of duck eggs. I uh, could bring you some ducks. <laughs> uh, let's do a have you seen. What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real though? Okay, Chad. What all right. you got? Speaking of duck eggs. <laughs> question mark um scientists i don't know have you seen this on cnn they posted a headline yesterday that scientists have grown many brains containing neanderthal dna that's all i got i I have not seen that i didn't read that i predicted this would happen okay what's what's (laughs) okay first of all what's a neanderthal so neanderthals like caveman right right so they're growing blobs of brain tissue from like human stem cells that have Neanderthal DNA and proteins. They're hoping to uh, see how they relate to modern humans. <laughs> that's about, that's it. What do you think they think about? Well, look, I mean, as someone who's kind of a Catholic morality geek and all that, this is a very interesting thing because we all know the reasons we shouldn't do human cloning. Right. But what about something that's not human, but pretty darn close? Mm. Yeah, what if we find out if they have consciousness or not? Yeah, that'll be So a ne- Neanderthal's not human? You know, we're like... We'd, uh, we'd, if, if we were looking at evolution, on the evolutionary scale, they'd be like between monkey and human. Gotcha. Yeah, they're not homo sapien, but they do know how to do a lot of things. So it'd be interesting. I mean, if you could talk to Neanderthal... What would you say? I don't know. What? Yeah. Hoo hoo ha ha. <laughs> there was a movie about that, wasn't it? Hoo ha. Hoo ha. Encino Man, right? Encino Man. Yeah, it's basically. He like seemed that. like more. He seemed human, though. Yeah. He was. What if he's like the Geico? 
And he talks about insurance. The Geico guy. That's the, in the NFL. <laughs> yes. He just talks about Geico insurance and tries to sell you. <laughs> Auto and car, auto and home bundles. Maybe I would be better as a Neanderthal. <laughs> Maybe you're closer to Neanderthal than you think, Paul. I might be. Actually, I should grow a beard. So, go for it. Anyway, that is very interesting. I haven't seen that. Uh, yeah, and I don't know, like the the uh, the moral question there. Uh, It'll rock our world. I mean, one, should they be doing this? That's a question, and I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I well, know. here's what I think. There's so many things that people could be doing in the world besides that to make the world better. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Well, when, we don't know. Yeah. Well, when I look at the world, I'm thinking so many people are wasting their time either doing something that's not going to make a difference, or just doing nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like. I'm saying there's really smart people in the world who could be figuring out some things that could advance medicine, could advance, you know, uh, curing things that could, you know, make our world a better place. And I don't know. They're like, I don't know. Let's recreate a Neanderthal. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. Like, I'm just saying, like, you take those smart people and say, hey, can you find a cure for the coronavirus right now instead of cloning a, you know, a caveman? He'd, pre- he'd probably be like, no, I don't feel like it. <laughs> That's probably what would happen. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, if I was that smart, I, I don't know. You've got to understand right. the pressures of these researchers. This is probably the culmination of a 10-year project where millions was invested, and this guy's hiney is on the line. You like, if he so? doesn't You're produce right. a brain, like, this month, he's out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's a lot of pressure. It's tossing in one of the holes that he's dug. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. So, you know. I agree with you, Paul, but I also have compassion for this, this guy. I'm so, I'm so glad that, that you do. Uh, speaking of compassion, uh, I got this interesting saint. Um, okay. uh, you know, we're recording the show here on uh, you know, June 19th. And Saint um, Romulad. Romuald? Romulad? Romuald? <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Romuald. 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 Have you ever heard of him? No. Never. No, but it could be a, a baby name. All right, it says this, in the midst of his wasted youth, which you guys can relate to that, at least Chad can. Uh, wasted. Rumbled. <laughs> Listen <waste>. to this. <laughs> wasted youth. That's what it says, wasted youth. Uh, you ran the roads a lot as, as a youth, Chad. You wasted I did. it. I did uh, waste quite a bit. Uh, but you have hope, right? So it says uh, he watched his father kill a relative in a duel over property. Right, so he he witnessed this murder of a family member. His dad murdered one of his family members. And it says this in, in horror, he fled to a monastery. Right, so like he just like you know was like just ran away. I'm out. And he found a monastery to hide in. And of course, you know the monks accepted him. And three years later, uh, he found himself you know growing in his Christian faith. And they basically just evangelized him by him living there. And he had a conversion and then became a priest. Um, oh, that's awesome. And a monk. Yeah, like you're straight out of Compton and then into the monastery. Or oh, it's in Italy, so Comptino. Not bad. Yeah, I mean, if you think about that, like that to me is sort of like the, I don't know, like the best evangelization, right? Not in a sense of like uh, a murder and then a conversion, but in a sense of, like we're all like have a wasted part of our life without Christ, mm. right? Like if you if you look at our life outside of Christ, it's like, man, I, 
I had no purpose, right? So I, I think when when it's saying wasted youth, it's like no real meaning or purpose of what I what I'm meant mm-hmm. for, right? And then and then you know he runs away and finds a monastery and and just lives there, and in living in the midst of like people who are living with purpose, living in Christ, he has this conversion. It's attractive. It's attractive. Mm. The life was attractive, and and then you know that his soul was saved. Yeah, it reminds me of, of I remember this when I'm doing RCIA as people are attracted into the church and I try to be upfront with them about the difference between Christ who's the head of the church who's calling them into the church and the members of the church cuz pretty soon you're going to have to wrestle with the shortcomings of fellow believers and for St. Romuel this was an issue too cuz as he went to the monastery he found people that loved Jesus. He also found people who didn't, and uh, he was falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit. He was mm. uh, like th- his young faith, his 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 newfound belief in Christ could easily have just been lost, and he just goes back to his old life because of the scandal of of those in the community. And this is something I think about often with RCIA: is that if I if I let them leave the program thinking that every Christian and every Catholic and every priest and every deacon and every bishop and every layperson they're going to meet. Um, is just as on fire as they are right now, then I'm, I'm, that's a scandal. But if I prepare them for that moment, um, because what, what kept St. Romuald through it was his relationship with Christ and those friendships in the monastery that nurtured that relationship, that wasn't all of them. Mm. Can we just say that I'm really glad we don't settle things with duels anymore? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Well, some people I mean, do. Oh, my gosh. Um, Sometimes maybe we should. Some people do, but <laughs> in, know, in, a, in a lot of ways, like I wish we had more monasteries to escape to. Yeah, uh, yeah that's like fair. and and in a sense, yeah. we do. We have our churches, but in in modern days, shouldn't our homes be like monasteries? In a sense of like a place for people to escape to find Christ. Like, come live with us. Come stay with mm-hmm. us. Come mm-hmm. eat with us. Like, shouldn't that be the place of evangelization? And sharing Christ with folks, opening our doors. I know you do that. You do that. I do that. But even more so, like our homes becoming these safe havens, these monasteries where people who uh, find their life being, quote unquote, wasted can find respite in homes of people who are living for Christ. And we yep. just accept them for who they are. And and in that love and acceptance and in that um, living life with us, they they find meaning and they find Christ, right? That to me is like like the the heart of what it means to teach the art of living, to teach uh, about Christ. You know, it it's not just from the pulpit. You know, right. like somebody hears the words from the pulpit and they have this massive conversion. And it's not just from this, you know, catechesis, like, well, you know, just take these classes and you're just, it's going to solve all your issues of life. It's really like learning the life of Christ by being around others. That's where real evangelization and conversion begins to happen. No, I love that point, and I, I think that is kind of the question in today's church is those monasteries that perform those roles in society, um, today, what are, what are these monasteries? And I think you're right. It's the homes of believers Mm. Um, even more than the parish church, because the parish church is not meant to be a monastery. Right. It's not a monastery, right? It should be a place of prayer. It should be a place where people share life together, but not live together all the time necessarily, right? The priest lives there, and it's not set up for that, right? 
but it should be the chapel of a bunch of monasteries. Right. The families who make up the parish. Yes. Mm. Absolutely. Right. Like that's where you go to to worship. That's where you go to see each other. But then the monasteries are the homes of the believers that that revolve around that church. It's a great point because you know when we go to mass and we go to our parish, we are fed by the body of Christ and the sacrament. The word mass to be sent to be sent back to our homes, to our neighborhoods and communities where we become you know the light of Christ in in those places. Right. Our our homes become those little monasteries where we can invite people in uh, and welcome them. All right, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. It's Paul George Show. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you guys today. Thanks for listening in. Paul George, Deacon Adam Conk, producer Chad Barrow in studio today. Sir Paul. Nice, sunny, warm day here in Louisiana. Thanks for listening in. We are live on Facebook and recording the podcast and uh, the radio show here on KLFT Radio. So thanks for being a part of the show. You guys were killing me at the break. Mm, y'all sorry, two, I think honestly, like y'all two together should just like do the show where you ramble about the, the way y'all go yeah, back and forth is just like, I don't know. I th- I'm starting to realize like I'm culturally irrelevant. No. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't think so. Definitely. Uh, of the three of us in the room, I am definitely the culturally irrelevantist, for sure. Think? Oh yeah. Like I don't sure. know what the heck's going on out there. No, you do. If it's not kids <laughs> or the church, you're right. I'm not aware of it. I'm. I feel required to be aware because I have to show up and and. Read off a have you seen, you know what I mean? It literally is a requirement. You, You'll you, get fired. You have one <laughs> you have you have one thing to do for the show. Uh, you're right. I probably should not procrastinate and, and figure it out earlier. And he talked he brought up Neanderthal. Paul, like, that you, was the one thing. You have taught me about okay, the outside well, world, Paul. I have? You have, yes. Oh yeah. You're my connection to the culture, man. As and as we're talking about monasteries. Come on, Big Daddy. Yeah. It's you. Big yeah. Daddy P. <laughs> Take me fishing. We're talking about the grandparent names uh, on the break. So anyway, uh, you know, what's interesting about the saint we're talking about. Um, how do you pronounce his name? Like, it's just really. I go with Rummeld. 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 A little nod to the to the A, but not a. Rummeld. 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 Okay. okay. Anyway. You, brought, you brought this point up earlier, Adam, and, um, you know, in teaching RCA. Um, and just just teaching people who are in the RCA, RCA the spiritual life and that it's it's not always like easy right and it says this it says during a period of his life uh, Rommel uh, suffered great spiritual dryness one day as he was praying Psalm 31 it says I will give you understanding and I will instruct you he was given an extraordinary light and spirit which never left him um, you know it's interesting like for a saint to experience spiritual dryness you know, um, and it says great spiritual dryness. Now, I know we can all relate this, to this in the spiritual life where, you know, we use words like desolation and consolation, you know, 
we've we've all experienced you know deep times of spiritual desolation or dryness where it almost you know feels like you know is god even with us you know and to see that the saints suffered with that same you know spiritual dryness uh, is comforting to me you know because it's not always easy living the spiritual life isn't always easy you know the idea of just running to a monastery to escape i'm sure for the first three years it was like oh this is great this is beautiful you know and then you realize oh the spiritual life is hard right it's mm. it, it it's not easy and i think we've all come to the point in our life where we realize that right oh yeah so i've been having this thought a lot a lot about this lately actually and and kind of reflecting on exodus and and they had a reading maybe not last sunday or sunday before and it was about uh them receiving the manna from heaven and how uh you know early on in my conversion i felt like the israelites that were freed from slavery and it was like this great relief and to not have this this burden of of particular sins on me and that i can live and, and grow in virtue um but as suffering came along and like you traveling through the desert for so long it can just feel like you know you, you feel like you're on your own almost you know like isolated and on your own um and, and especially when you're in those moments where you're in the desert and nothing good is going on, maybe you're hungry or thirsty, it can feel like God was never with you. Like you were never set free and like he's never brought you manna. But like literally, I mean, they're experiencing miracles, like these great miracles of receiving manna from, from heaven and, and, and water from a rock, you know, all these like great, amazing things. But in their dryness, like when Moses would leave and go and, and up the mountain. They would forget. Right, and then they return to whatever idol makes them comfortable or makes them forget about it. You know what I mean? And I just I feel like I felt that way for for a while. I'm like, man, I feel like I'm just dry and nothing's happening. Like God is supposed to be God is supposed to be this way, and He's not this way right now. So it doesn't feel like He's there. Hmm. And I'm like, oh wait, God has given me consolation. Like He has given me manna from heaven, and it's been wonderful. You know what I mean? That's a it's a great point. In a sense of, you know, what idols do you turn to? Uh, when you're in spiritual desolation, you yeah. know? Oh, I know what it is. <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't always have to be these deep sinful idols. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can be, but it can be sort of these, like, worldly comforts that just kind of, like, make us, you know, the spiritual fathers would say it's, like, superficial consolation. It's it's not spiritual consolation. It's like, oh, this food makes me feel good for the moment, or the, or the mm -hmm. weather makes me feel good in the moment, or, you know, watching this movie makes me feel good in the moment, but then it just wears off, right? Uh, and it could be some sinful behavior too that's very superficial consolation because that wears off obviously as well um you know and i think we're living in a time where you know there's this shaky economy and and all the these ups and downs with the pandemic and all these unknowns where maybe some of those normal superficial consolations that we turn to aren't there and now we're really living in some desolation that's true it reminds me of um, Father Garrigou Lagrange kind of coming on all this. Something he said always struck me, and I find it to be true, is he was kind of describing this maturity in the spiritual life when you're actually maturing and, and you enter into this type of conversion called illumination. So it's less about purgation. It's less about leaving Egypt. It's more about growing in, in the light of, of um, the promised land. You're not there yet, but like you're... You're, you're on that journey. And uh, he said people are often discouraged in that phase, in that place, 
by an increase in the temptation of anger and lust. And he goes on to explain about why that happens and it makes sense. But it's not a it's not going back. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like you're 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 backsliding. You're actually making progress. But what's happening is the foundation of your spiritual life was faulty and bad. It was based on pride um, and it was based on false comforts. Mm. And making progress, that foundation has been wiped out now. Like you're, you're more humble and you're less interested in the things of this life, created comforts. Mm. And you're more interested in, in divine comfort, right? But you don't know how to do that yet and you're not invested in that yet. And so what happens is your, your pride falling out from under you is the basis of your life will lead to a sense of insecurity, a sense of restlessness that will manifest as anger. Hmm. And, and lust, yeah. Well, and then this, this detachment from the world's pleasure and being less interested in it could manifest itself of like, well, I don't know what to attach myself to now. So like you're looking for a new thing to find pleasure in, and since it won't, it won't fill your satisfaction, like, like if you give in to those temptations in this moment, it won't do what it used to do for you. It's just going to leave you more dissatisfied. And so you might either go hard to the paint with it and be like, you know, I'm fully over. You know what I'm saying? So, but the main thing is he's saying is don't get discouraged about this because you're actually making progress. And there's going to be a time when you grow out of this. You know, these t- temptations will pass. The desert will pass. The storm will pass. So don't run from it. Actually go right into it. You know, face those, those issues. Mm. I had a, a spiritual director because uh, this all ties into those readings in Exodus. And that often, those readings often get to me too. It's like, man, have you not seen all that God has done for you? And now, like, yeah. you're just forgetting and now you're turning to an idol? What idiots, right? But I always, a spiritual director, always, when I was in times of spiritual desolation and dryness, uh, as our saint today we're talking about, um, he, would al- he would always say, I want you to stop right now and I want you to write down all the things God has done in your life. Like, so I want you to remember. Mm-hmm. And as I would write them down, I'd be like, oh, oh, right? Like, okay, God's been there. God's been there. I don't feel it right now. And that would, you know, really kind of keep me from like the temptation to turn to something immediate to fulfill this dryness or to quench my thirst instead of just staying consistent with God in prayer and, and scripture and, you know, in the sacraments. Um, but but coming back to that list of remembering, it's interesting because I'm in this season of life right now where, you know, there's this, this is just a lot of, you know, there's some spiritual dryness, but there's a lot of uncertainty in the world. And I was thinking and praying the other day, and um, I was just kind of reminded of what was my first love in my conversion? Like going mm-hmm. back to what my first love, like what was the the thing that really, really was like, you know, the, the, those first dates that that really just drew me in, and it was reading scripture. It was just reading scripture. Mm. Um, I fell in love with with the Lord and my faith by just reading scripture because I didn't know a whole. I didn't have a catechism. My conversion. I didn't know all the tools that the church had. I just started reading scripture, and I just been feeling a call to go back to my first love, like to just start diving into scripture again and reading the Word. Because the word will will pop you out of your dryness. It'll remind you of who God is, you know. Um, and it says in Psalm 31, where the Lord said to um, Romuald, I will give you understanding and I will instruct you. And it says that 
Spiritually, he was given an extraordinary light and a spirit which never left him. So this this consolation that the Lord mm. was with him came to him during his most extraordinary time of dryness. Think about that. Mm. Well, because he kept showing up to prayer. <clears throat> yeah. He kept praying. And if, you, if we stop investing in our spiritual life when it's dry, we won't make it out of that desert <clears throat> to the promised land that God is promising us in consolation. And that's the thing. You, that's, that's why most people need spiritual direction at some point in their life or spiritual grouping, if nothing else, to encourage a person who's going through that to not stop, especially not stop praying, because we want to stop. It's not, it's not something we want to keep doing. The reality is this, if, if you're living your faith, you're going to have periods of dryness, and sometimes it, they could be long, and mm-hmm. sometimes it, could, it might not even be your fault. It just is what it is. And sometimes it is your fault, like things you're doing or not doing well or you're in sin. Either way, I think you're right, Adam, is the, if, the, if we could do one thing during spiritual dryness or in our spiritual life, it's seek out other people to walk with us, mm. to not do it alone, Right spiritual direction, spiritual grouping, accountability. You know, when I'm in dryness, I, I know what to do. I I don't want to do it, but I know who to call. I know who, you know, who to process with, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't take the dryness away, but it helps me know that I'm not in the desert alone. You know, I'm not walking along in my dryness, that, that God's with me and other people with me. And I think oftentimes in spiritual dryness, we have the unique ability to create a scenario in our mind that's not really reality, right? It's yeah. worse than what it should be. This a is mirage, what the Israelites, the mirage, if you will. This is what the Israelites did. God, you suck. You've never been here. You don't provide for us. And he's like, wait, what? Right? And then mm-hmm. they start creating, you know, a golden calf and idols. You know, it's like they, they've created the scenario in their mind and their dryness of something that wasn't fully true. Right. And that's what we often do in our dryness is we create these scenarios that we need other people to say, no, it's really not that bad. It might be tough right now, but, you know, it's not as bad as what you think it is. Yeah, it's like it's it's tempting to stop praying. It's like you're laying down and just kind of like dying and accepting your fate in the desert. You're like, ah, well, we've been in the desert for 39 years, you know, whatever. And you're like, we just haven't gotten anywhere or even 20 years. We haven't gotten anywhere. It doesn't seem like we're going anywhere because there's nothing. I don't know. It just doesn't feel that way. Right. So you're like, well, might as well just give up. Might as well just, I don't know. That's the, that's the real temptation that you're kind of talking about, I guess. And I, I have a question about that. You said lust, right? Like you talked about anger and lust. And do you just mean sexual lust or you mean? Well, he did. Um, or he, yeah, I guess what Gary I think in should. general, though, this idea that because the thing is, once we start to love the Lord and experience spiritual good, the the glitter of this world passes away. Mm-hmm. Like it's not as attractive. Um, but this doesn't mean we're not going to be tempted by it anymore. In fact, our temptation, temptation could get stronger, and that's his point, is that our our training from sin will send us in that direction, but our heart knows it's empty. So we go with this like intensity because we know it's not going to fulfill us. We could even like, like he says, you could have vastly more intense images pop in your mind than the ones you even remember (laughs) because (laughs) you, you know that like it's an empty well and you know that deep down inside yet you still want to drink from it. So there's this impulse to like, just, you know, go for it. Right. Um, 
But I mean, I think that could apply to any any comfort we find in creatures. And remember too that like God causes dryness or He allows it. He allow some of the dryness we experience is because our sinful nature and our sins of the past we're growing out of it. It's like mm-hmm. shedding skin, you know, like a snake or whatever, and it's not always pleasant, but necessary. But it has to do with this like this heart that's wounded from sin. But some of it God is causing to to cause us to grow, you know. Um, and it's caused by by the consolation. I mean, think about St. Teresa of Avila, who experienced these, like, high consolations, you know, like, literally being almost in heaven. Imagine coming down from that, how empty this world would feel. Mm. You know, like, even even the tasting of God's goodness can cause us to then experience this dryness of the world. But it was dry the whole time, we just didn't realize it. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, my point is that um, we have this remnant of sin within us, this memory of sin. Like St. Paul says, this thorn in the flesh. Like, it's there, and it's not going to leave us until we die. Um, but it can be a source of growth for us, you know? And that's why God leaves it in us. Yeah, he allows mm-hmm. it because it helps us to grow in virtue and uh, in the spiritual life, and it prunes us. And But it does stink. There's times where it's like, man, I this is not fun. Like, I'm, I'm really suffering but in times of suffering and trial is when we grow we don't know we're growing until maybe we look back and that's why the wisdom my spiritual director did in that season was like i want you to write down the things you remember remember how god where you were and where you are now you know it's like moses with the israelites he went up in the mountain and you know he was in the presence of god you know the shekinah glory you know and the presence of god settled on the mountain and and moses got to experience that and it's he just set up shop there there's 40 days of consolation. The Lord's presence was so bright that it changed the color of his face. So that when he went down on the mountain, Aaron saw his face changed color. It was like, what the heck? But <laughs> but Moses was up on the mountain, and God was like, okay, you got to go. And Moses was like, no, I don't want to leave. I'm not leaving. And, you know, because he's just living in the moment of the consolation. God was like, no, you, you have to go. And he's like, I don't want to go down there. Like, why would you send me back down there to be with those complainers, <laughs> those people, right? I want to stay here with you. And the Lord's like, no, that's 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 your role. Like that, you know, and the the times of consolation send us out uh, so that we can, you know, reflect God's glory to the world. That's why he went down and everyone saw the presence of God on Moses' face because it you know, the presence like burned his face to where his face was shining, you know? Uh, and, and it was like a reminder to them, oh, you know, like God's still with us, right? Mm. And the this is where, where we're called to be these, these bright monasteries in the world now. Like, I, I like your point. Like our parishes aren't really set up to be a monastery. We're not called to live in the parish, you know, in a sense of like the building and the the you know, the rhythm of life and prayer, you know, only particular people get to live in an actual monastery, you know, the religious and whatnot. Um, but the parish really sends us out, prepares us, feeds us so that we can be these, these bright lights in these monasteries in our neighborhoods. And, you know, if, if we're thinking that, you know, the world's going to know Jesus just by clicking on a video and watching catechetical videos, we're wrong. Like it, that's not going to be the only way that the gospel is going to get out there. It's going to be people like us who are opening our homes, our lives to just, 
you know, share God's love, you know. Um, I've had like former students and young people from long ago been like, you know, that I remember this one guy, um, I was in Virginia and he's married now with kids. And um, I said, you know, Tony, I haven't seen you in forever, you know, and it's been so long. And um, he would come to Bible studies in our home and, you know, when, and uh, he came in and he said, you know, the thing that uh, had the biggest impact on my life during that season of my life as a young adult was just watching you and your wife be married. Mm. I was like, it wasn't the Bible study or the teaching <laughs> or like, you remember that great talk I give? Yeah, he's like, no, it was just, it was like absorbing life the way y'all live life. And he goes, that had a major impact on me that, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't know. It was like forming and shaping me in a way. And, and that's the beauty of, you know, if we, if we live the authentic life or just try, we're imperfect and invite people into that, then it's contagious. It really is. Well, there's a basis for this in the gospel, I think. I mean, what attracted the crowds to Jesus? It wasn't his teaching. Not really. Sometimes his teaching really made him mad, and they wanted to kill him. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. But it was, uh, it was that he taught with authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. The authenticity, but the power that can only come from the real thing is what attracted people to Jesus as crowd. Certain people were attracted to Jesus just personally for different reasons, like um, Mary Magdalene, who didn't even choose the encounter, but Jesus found her on the ground and lifted her up, right? Like there are a lot of ways we could encounter Jesus, but the crowd encountered Jesus in a positive way um, from the power and authority with which he spoke. And I think we as Christians can, can draw the crowd in by the power and authority with which we live our life, if it's the real deal. Mm. Mm. If it's not, then we're just like the scribes and Pharisees, and the crowd is not interested in the scribes and Pharisees. And this is why the scribes and Pharisees hated Jesus, is the crowd didn't really pay attention to them, you know? Um, But they paid attention to him. And we can get upset that our crowd is leaving the church and get mad at the people that they're listening to, or we could say it's because we're not the real deal. Mm. That's why they're leaving. Um, because our homes are not the real deal, because our parishes aren't the real deal. And so how can we become the real deal and speak with power and authority and live that way? Now, will we get everybody? No. But there are Romalds out there that become saints because we live the certain way. Yeah, this is what I love about Jesus. You know, he's teaching, he's walking down the road. Zacchaeus hears about him and climbs a tree because he's short in stature. And Jesus doesn't stop and just instruct. He's just not like, hey, let me preach to you right now, Zacchaeus, in the tree. He says, come down. And then he says to Zacchaeus, uh, I want to stay I want to stay at your house. Let, let's just go live life together for, you know, like mm. let's go talk over dinner and like let's just converse. And, you know, like that was our Lord, not having this authority to where he was separated from people, where he was distant. You know, where he was this king who had layers of people in between him and the rest of the folk, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was a, a king that was so humble that wore a crown of thorns, that dined with normal folks and sinners. That's what they had the most trouble with understanding. How can you dine with sinners? And he's like, that. well, you know, the, I'm, that's what I came to do. 
to heal the sick, mm. the, the lame, the blind, the sinner. And that was his teaching authority was in the fact that not only he teach with authority, but he, he was willing to live life with people mm. and not like just be with the lowest of the low. That was the beauty of it. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show, Paul George, Deacon Adam Conk, Chad Barrow in studio. Uh, it's been a good discussion, actually. Um, uh, Chad, if you want to get to Kyle's comment we were talking about sure, on sure. the break, I think it was really good. Uh, yeah, so he said, Kyle Malasa said, the rooms of a monastery are called cells because it comes from the Latin word chely, which means heaven. Our homes are to be little heavens. Do our rooms exemplify for do our homes exemplify for others little heavens? They love the conversation. Yeah, that's a great point. I think some of my kids would say my cell's too small. <laughs> I need a bigger cell. <laughs> yeah, it was a question I had earlier. It was like, man, you send your kids off to high school, which I don't know what your experience of high school was. I remember what mine was. And it's, it's like going into the wilderness of sorts. You know what I mean? It's like you're really going out into the world and you're worried about what everybody thinks about you. And you're, you're constantly on guard because you don't want people to, to attack you or tease you for X, Y, or Z. And then they have to come back home. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, I don't know. How, how does that work? Like, do, can you make your home a little heaven or a little monastery for your kids even? Not even just for the outside people that come into your home, but like that's a, that's every time your kids come home. That's great. Uh, question, you know, Adam, you were making the point where it, it does trickle down. Like it should be from the parish down to the home. Like we learn how to live life in a sense of community and in our parish. Uh, and then, you know, trickles down to the home um, to where, you know, we have these, you know, our homes are small safe havens for Christ. They're, they're small monasteries, but, but with doors open, not closed, mm -hmm. you know, like a lot of our images of monasteries or these, buildings with gates that are closed like you can't get in you know and there's some that are because you know they're they're cloistered monasteries and and those folks are just praying for us mm -hmm. <laughs> you know i hope um but a monastery with doors open you know with with a welcome you know and i think for a family like we know that the church has really kind of come around and written about the family being the domestic church like we're we're little churches you know we're all little priests in our own home. We're baptized priest, prophet, and king. We're, we're anointed for our home, and that's the first place. And I think the best gift that parents can give their children is, a, is first just a good marriage, mm. right? Like just safety in their vocation. The best gift that a priest and a deacon can give their parish is a good vocation, right? Yeah. Not the best homily, but a holy vocation, right? Like I, I could not be the, you know, the best at doing certain things as a father, but if I'm committed and live in a holy vocation, that's the best gifts I can give my kids. And then a safe place to just 
be home, mm-hmm. you know, from the wilderness to come in and, and kind of be able to process the craziness of life within the safety of a home brings light and, you know, teaching to them because, you know, where, where, where is the first place of catechesis for children in the home? Right. Mm-hmm. And I guess if I had to boil it down to like a nice little formula of how to build that type of home, I might offer worship, work, and rest. Worship, work, and rest. It's pretty much the pillar of the home church culture. Communal worship in some way, but then also encouraging, you know, your own active, like when you do go off to school, are you pray, <clears throat> praying for your friends? Are you praying before your class? Like how are you, you should be a person of worship outside the home, so I need to be worried about that. But like in the home, where people who worship God together regularly work you, if you don't learn how to work at your house, you're not really going to learn it out there. Mm-hmm. The value of work, the importance of it, the commitment to it, the Christian understanding of it, if you're not learning that in your house, like there's no way we can contribute to the work outside in the world in a Christian way. It's just not going to happen. We'll learn how to work like the world. We'll lie. We'll cheat. We'll uh, cut wages. Like We'll do all the things that we shouldn't be doing as Catholics. And so the home should be a place where we're learning how to work well, value the work of others, like our little siblings who don't do much, but it's valuable. Those kinds of things. That's where you learn those mm-hmm. lessons. And then rest. And I think this is the rest one is a struggle mostly for, for Catholic parents, I think, because they get the worship thing, like, okay, we need to pray together, and we have our rosary. And they even get the work thing. We have our chore chart, and it's working out. But rest is not merely inactivity or entertainment. And I think that's something we struggle with as Catholic parents. Mm-hmm. Like rest is not, let's all get our devices and veg out for a bit, or let's, or <laughs> let's, up. yeah, or let's even go, pl- let's go play a game for a little while. That's not necessarily rest. So there's this movie recently that really struck me uh, about, it's called The Two Popes on Netflix. It's mostly mm. largely inaccurate and I didn't really like it. But one thing that did stick out to me was the, the, Pope Benedict, or I should say the character of Pope Benedict, because it's not like... It's not him. I don't think it's really <laughs> Pope Benedict. But the character yeah. of Pope Benedict, played by Anthony Hopkins, invites uh, the future Pope Francis to say, hey, let's be quiet together for a while. If I could promote anything as far as instituting family rest together, it would be that idea. Let's come be quiet for a while. If we're quiet together in the same room, it seems pointless at first, right? But there's such an intimacy to resting together spiritually. Like, let's just chill and we don't have to talk about anything let's like you read what you want to read i'll read what i want to read but we'll be in the same room and like we're just going to be quiet together mm. i find that so restful and connecting with my kids um and if we're not learning how to be quiet together and like rest together and learn how to rest in the lord if we're just entertaining ourselves vegging out or just having fun together we're not really resting it's it's gonna be hard to build that church culture in our home i think because we're going to look for the rest somewhere else, not in Jesus, not with each other. We're going to look for the entertainment and everything else somewhere right. else. Right, and, and the entertainment and the vegging out, like you say, doesn't really, yeah, it doesn't, you don't feel rested after you feel like more anxious. Almost always you feel like this deep anxiety. I mean, this is it for me, I guess. Like I feel, I feel more anxious after looking, I'm like, oh, dang, I wasted two hours or three hours vegging out, like you say. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I love that. Some of the things, I mean, this is not necessarily rest, but like I've found even connected with my wife, like one of the best ways, like a long road trip and we keep the radio off, you know, put anything on and we just sit and like, even if we're just quiet for a whole hour. Quiet together. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. 
Yeah, and I mean, isn't that how our prayer life should be in a sense of just quiet, quiet together? together. Yeah. We don't always have to be talking or, you know, feel like Jesus is talking to us, but just togetherness, this quiet together, I think is a good point. We do struggle with rest, and we and we struggle with the joy of rest too because we're restless. Mm-hmm. We don't want to do something. And when we do veg out, it's on a device or watching a movie and not, that's not always bad, but, but you're right. Like we're more restless when we're on those things, you know, like I'm going to, you know, watch a movie and then I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I rested during the movie, but my mind didn't, you right. know, like mm-hmm. I, I, and I didn't rest with other people cause they didn't. And, and I think that is something to grow in is that virtue as a family of, of resting. Um, and you know, <clears throat> Some friends of mine who who do a great job of like hospitality in the home and ministering through that gift of hospitality is that they have an open door policy in a sense of people can come in and drop in and live life with them. And it, it really is like just a sense of like they could just rest in their home. Like they could mm-hmm, just be mm-hmm. who they are. They can take their shoes off and, you know, sit down and, and it's just sit on the porch. And it's not like just this busyness, you know. And right. they have a real gift and charism to that that I, I feel like I can learn from is just that ability to even do that with my kids. You know, mm-hmm. I need to be better at that, putting the device down and not working all the time and just, just being, you know. Yeah, it's really so much closer to like, I, I think about the community of Jesus Crucified. It's, you, it's, a, it's a little community in St. Martinville for the listeners that don't know about it. Um, but it's our homes are so much closer to that than, than I think we even realize. I mean, they... They come back to the to the community, and they work. They cut grass. They cook. They whatever clean. Um, they pray together. They rest in a real way. But then they also go out on mission into the world and encounter real people in real situations to do ministry or to feed them or whatever. And then they come back to the monastery as or to the community as a sort of sacred place to come home and rest. And sure, there may be disagreements among the brothers and sisters and priests and these things. But, yeah, I don't know. But but it's still a place that's that's sacred and holy. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. I'm glad you brought a mission. That might be a fourth attribute, too, is mission in the family. Yeah. Having a sense of mission. Sense right. of mission and, and, purpose. and purpose. You know what was interesting? Because you bring up uh, the community, and a lot of communities are like this, religious communities. But I actually um, get, did a silent retreat there, like just as mm. a, you know, by myself. And uh you know, so I was going to live the rhythm of life with them from our retreat and then have some quiet time. But they wake up and pray, you know, grab some breakfast, pack their lunch and go work wherever they were working, you know, as a community, whether it be physical labor or like spiritual labor. And then they come back in the afternoon, you know, have prayer again uh, and then dinner uh, and then and then prayer again, whatever. And and then I was just going in a quiet prayer. And then one night, like it was probably like, I don't know, like nine o'clock or eight o'clock. I don't know. Um, there was just a ton of laughter. <laughs> now it, there was no laughter during the day. Cause it was like real structured, you mm-hmm. know, it was like boom, boom, boom and boom. And then there was just like a ton of, I'm talking about just like <laughs> belly laughing and like storytelling. And I could hear it off in the distance in like a room, you know? And I was just like really taken back by it in a good way. And so I asked a question the next day. It's like, yeah, like, so, you know, at this time, you know, on this night, we have our, just our social time where we just, we're just together. 
and sometimes we just share stories and we start laughing and have this community and just the joy of that, you know, just reminding mm. me like just even as families is to be able to just, you know, have these moments where we just let's put it all away. Let's just sit around and rest and just talk and share stories. It doesn't have to be anything, you know, other than just life. Mm-hmm. If I could throw a little suggestion on incorporating that is start with Sunday on that. If every Sunday has that kind of time where it is time to be together and tell stories, stories, first of all, as parents, if you're not telling your kids stories and I tell myself this all the time, I have to tell my kids the stories because there's so many stories that I assume they've heard and maybe the oldest have, but not the youngest or, mm-hmm. or they forgot. And like, these are stories that make me who I am about my parents, about my life. Like I need to be telling these stories and some of them are pretty hilarious, but, uh, yeah, like we, we need to be passing on our stories in an environment like that and they're hilarious and you belly laugh. Like that's awesome. Make Sunday, set aside some time to do that every Sunday. You mass, that. mass and belly laugh. <laughs> yeah. That should be, I love that. be what your Sunday is. Pretty much. And good food. I love that. Don't forget the good food. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that was kind of my childhood growing up, to be honest. The older I get, the more I really appreciate what my parents did for me. Because I mean... It was, it's the blessing of my life. Like it made my life. But this was Sunday for us. We would have a, a Sunday meal and we would laugh till we cried. In fact, it was funny because <laughs> my mother would be the one crying laughing. So we'd we'd point out, yeah, she's crying, you know. Right. Like that was our every Sunday. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, Chad, you need to start having kids so you can create this little family, you know. That's the goal. And, yeah. <laughs> Try my best. Maybe I'll name one Romald. Uh, you, you, should, you need to move from ducks to babies. Well, I can keep the ducks and babies. The babies the can eat the ducks. You're right. Not yet. But can you really commune <laughs> with It'll ducks? Take a few can you have community with ducks? No. They have little personalities, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> you know, after you have them for a while. Can't You think you could, uh, I don't know, reproduce a duck brain? I don't know if we They're have very to. small. <laughs> They're kind of dumb. I don't know if you know that. They call them bird brains for a reason. Mm. You know what I mean? They don't. They don't really know much. Like we I try mean, to teach them, like, "Hey, stop calling them on back porch and pooping on it." And you know, you try to scare them. You try whatever you can, but they find a way to get on your back porch and poop. You know well, what I, mean? They I mean, if they, they can't train them, talking about the kids or the ducks? The ducks. Oh, he doesn't have ducks. kids. If they could recreate <laughs> the uh, a Neanderthal brain, I say that ten times. The Neanderthal brain. <laughs> <laughs> say it. Say it ten times. No. Um, could they do a duck brain? I think they could. Now, there are some Cajun people I know in our culture, and for those of you guys not from here, this might be disgusting, that um, eat squirrel brains. Okay. It's good protein. I've seen it with mm-hmm. my own eyes. Are you from Monkey? Have you tasted it with your own tongue? Paul Hood and Bunky can tell you this. Squirrel brains. Have you so eaten they it? would really be into reproducing squirrel brains because they just eat. I did taste oh it. Oh, my gosh. And? It's, it's disgusting. Mm. <laughs> I believe it. But if you surround it with gravy, just this Cajun you gravy, even you probably don't even notice it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Mix it in for sure. to, to the rice and gravy. Yeah. You know, and just swallow. I guess it's it's okay. But Make people do. So, I mean, yeah. It, yeah. Okay. Yeah. To each his own. <laughs> Yeah, well, the whole so the whole reason behind the ducks, anyway, <laughs> just to be fair, wasn't for a community, but like for people to take care of it, you know, or like for my kids to be able to grow and to like take care of these animals and 
I feel like I should probably learn first. Learn some so responsibility. Teach some yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. So you invested right. in the work aspect Correct. of the house. Correct. Yeah. Which Adam's kids have been able to come and, and take care of them a little bit here and there. That. They're that's real a, easy. That's our mission aspect. Do you prefer ducks yeah. to chickens? Like it? Uh, I don't know yet. I don't have chickens. Okay. But I hear they're they're pretty similar. They have their perks and, and, and cons. Well, the oh. eggs taste better with ducks, I'm just saying. They do. They're great. They're wonderful. I had his duck eggs. <laughs> had me a duck omelet. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> oh, that was a question I had about the mission part. Like, is there like a, I don't know if, if either one of you guys have like a sort of mission for your family. Like, I, like, yeah, we take, we have our home and it's, it's for worship and work and whatever. And then what all the things that we gather in our home rest, I guess, too, all the, all the time we spend in our homes, we take all that energy that we have from this spiritual life and we go out into the world to give, right? Because we can't just receive to go out and give the graces that we've received. Do you guys have like a, your families have like a joint mission that you guys all do or like you let your kids sort of pick and I don't know, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? We kind of discern the kind of year by year. You know, we, we try to have like a sense of like an actual mission, you know, statement for our family and a sense of internal, like what do we want to be about and preparing all of us to live that out in, in some way, shape or form. Um, and to have an understanding of that. And then maybe yearly just kind of praying about like, how are we going to fulfill this mission? Maybe just as a unit, like if we're going to do something or whatever. And we're not always great at, at fulfilling those goals practically, but sometimes we are. So, mm. Yeah, like John Paul II said, mission is like breathing in and breathing out for the church. So there's an in, the Holy Spirit comes in, because the Holy Spirit and the Lord is the one on mission in us, right? right. Like that, so the Holy Spirit comes in, and so we need to have a mission in, taking care of ourselves, making sure we're following the Lord, and then out. And if we don't have both of those ideas, we're, we're dead. So like Paul said, as a family, like we, yeah, yearly we revisit what we want our family to be about as family. So our mission to each other and our commitment mm-hmm. to that. And we use language, especially because I have small kids, a lot of our language is reminding people of that mission. Like we don't want to treat our brothers that way. We don't want, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? But then the out, I think Paul has more experience with that. Like, because as you get older and the kids get older, it's time to start pointing them out more. Um, now we do have some out as a family together to our parish, um, to the church around us, to the poor, that kind of stuff. But as they get older, I'm sure Paul has a lot of insight that you you really got to help them discern how God is sending them out from this family. You know, and that's really where the family breathes out. It breathes out vocations. It breathes out professionals. It bre- you know what I'm saying? Right. Right. It's like, I mean, high school in and of itself is a sort of mission field. I mean, that's why they have yeah. youth ministers in the world. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It'd be an interesting concept to have a kid that, that looks at high school as a mission field. I don't know that kids do or ever will or or it's even possible for the to, for them to have that perspective. But, yeah, I don't know, like if you're forming and, and building your child in your home, it would be so good for them to look at high school that way. Like these are people that are broken and... And, but Jesus loves them too, as much as he loves me. And how can I help them realize that? Yeah, that's a good, we'll have to do a whole show on that. <laughs> so this is a good discussion. Good show. Thank you guys uh, for being part of the show. Thank you guys for listening, uh, whether you're on Facebook uh, with us today, uh, but certainly listening on the uh, podcast and on the radio. Really appreciate you being a part of the show. You can find the show on iTunes or Google Play on podcasts and uh, here on KLFT Radio in Acadiana 
where it airs. So thanks for being a part of the show. Uh, check out what we're doing. Uh, discovertheartofliving.com, uh, our conferences, retreats, our marriage uh, coaching, and the things that we're doing to help this world become a better place besides recreating brains. So um, <laughs> we'll be back <laughs> next week. God bless. God bless.